Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. If we're just here today, gone tomorrow, our relationship with our stuff doesn't matter. If we believe that one day we're going to be held accountable for our attitude to our stuff and actually that uh, we'll be asked to um, give account for how we stewarded our stuff, then that provides us a little bit more of a different relationship with our stuff, but a, probably a base level of understanding that actually how I treat my stuff, how I act towards my stuff, I'm going to be held accountable one day in the never-never, whenever that all happens, then that's a different um, way that I'm going to treat my stuff. However, if I'm not just here waiting for Jesus to come back, or if I'm not just here waiting till I die and go to heaven, but actually I'm not just here space-taking, but I'm here occupying, which is what the Bible says we're supposed to do, then my relationship with my stuff becomes a bit different. If I'm not just here occupying, but actually I'm here to influence then, then that's a little bit different as well. But, but what if what the Bible says is true? And we're not just here to occupy. We're not just here to influence. But we're actually here to rule and reign. And we're here that everyone who calls the name of Jesus is actually here to bring kingdom systems to earth. And everywhere we see hell on earth, that we're to bring heaven to that. And that actually when we pray, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that's just not a wish or a prayer. But actually we believe that we're bringing heaven to earth through our actions and the way we do things and the way we treat our staff then all of a sudden, it's a whole lot different. The way we think about our stuff is completely different. And it's the same in this series. If it starts here and outlasts us, then actually the way we feel about the way we do things is completely different. We're not just waiting for our next holiday. We haven't just got our eyes on, thank God it's Friday because we've got the weekend coming up. We're not just waiting out till our kids leave home because we can't wait. That's not, that's not, if you've got young children, you might say amen, but later on you'll feel that it's all happening too quickly. Uh, you, you, we're not here just to actually resist culture, but we're actually here to impact culture. And where God wills it, we're actually here to set culture. That we're not just uh, wandering around and, and culture's determining and uh, dictating to us, but we're here to set culture as well. Oh, that's a great thought. I love that thought. So if that's what we're here to do, if we're here to start something that outlasts us, then why on earth would we do that? Well, let's look at the message translation of Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. It says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to put you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Invite people around for 21 days of prayer and feast. Oh, no, sorry, that's not in there. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Lord God, you say there, Heavenly Father, that there's a way that we can act that actually causes other people to have a reaction to that. That, Lord, what we start is actually going to outlast us, Lord God. And so, Lord, we pray that this morning you'll help us to know how to act in such a way that goes beyond us, that doesn't stop with us, Lord, that we're not space-taking, Lord, but we're influencing, Lord God, that we're actually ruling and reigning and bring your kingdom of heaven to earth here, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing that we need to know is that this does not get done with mere human effort. This does not get done with mere human effort. It's the time of the judges in the Old Testament. And, uh, and the Joshua, Joshua has died. 
And the Israelites say, let's fight Canaanite. And they've decided to go into Canaan. They've decided to, they're ready to rumble. Uh, but as they do so, they begin to compromise and, and they begin to just give a little bit away on, on, the, on the countries that they're taking over. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden that the, the people that were risk takers, that were pioneers, were innovators and, 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 and they were just amazing people and, and they, they just begin to make compromises. The days of slavery and deliverance that they'd heard of are now just stories of the generations past. And they're wondering, you know, what, what really is there that's so exciting to live for? The days of slavery are stories and, and the feasts and the festivals that used to be just, you know, done with such passion and potency, they've now kind of lost that and so they beget, begin to be adhered to with less regularity. Mighty Joshua is dead and those who observed or were a part of his exploits, they're now just feeling a little bit old, a little bit irrelevant as the new generation that are coming through begin to subtly give a little bit here and give a little bit there. And the culture begins to creep into them. And then the existing culture of the land now becomes the prevailing culture rather than the people of God coming in and taking over and influencing the culture. It's false gods, it's human sacrifices and it's despicable practices begin to become commonplace among the people of God. This is unheard of. And the people, they waste and wane in their reservance of the one who's delivered them. And God leaves them to the consequences of their actions and says, I'm not going to enable your disobedience. I'm actually going to let you feel that so you know that disobeying me is not the right way to go. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 16 to 19, it says, Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshipping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors, who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshipping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And so it was that God would raise up a judge, and so it was with Othniel, son of Kenaz, and, and there was peace for 80 years. And then, then they went back to their old ways, and then Ehud was raised up, and there was peace for 40 years. And then the people went back to their old ways. And then my favourite, Deborah, was raised up, and she was a leader in the land at that time. We're talking Old Testament, like just bad girl leader, called Deborah, and she, is, uh, she says to Barak, her commanding officer, come on, Barak, I need you to go into battle for me. And he says, well, I'm not going unless you come. And she says, okay, I'm coming with you. And then she wins the victory uh, with the help of Jael, who drives a tent peg through the temple of the evil king called Sisera. And I'm not talking the temple, the building, I'm calling the temple. And uh, I don't know why I'm excited about that. But, but that's so another 40 years of peace. But once again, when she died, the people turned from God. But then there was Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, and on and so on, all the way to Samson. And the nation went from the people of God who drove out the enemy from the land bit by bit to the, peop uh, the people who were strong and courageous. Like I said, the risk takers, the innovators, the pioneers. Do you like that, Daz? Um, that's Daz's catchphrase for church planting. I love it. And the heroes, but now they're the apathetic. They're the easily influenced. They're the passive, uninspiring, and actually vapid generation. They're just... They're just taking up space. They're just turning to everyone around them. And the Bible says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. 
Daz mentioned last week that Joshua was this go in and fight and take the land kind of guy. And the next generation kind of just kept consolidating that, but then began to compromise a little bit. And then the next generation were like, what God? (laughs) What God? You know, actually statistics say that if we're people who just show up to church on Sunday and there's not a real and living faith that we have in our heart that the next generation might go to church, but statistics and studies show that the next generation after that certainly don't. Now, we don't take responsibility for the choices of the next generation. The Bible says that we can't and that they can't blame the previous generation. But I think you'll agree with me that we want to do whatever it takes to set up the next generation and for our country to, to actually um, go the way of God rather than the way of whatever they see around them. So how do we do that? We're going to have a look at that. Harvard Business Review writes that very rarely, only 10% of the time, will gener- family businesses last three generations. Uh, There's a saying in business, the first generation starts the business, the second generation runs the business, and the third generation ruins the business. (laughs) And and, uh, that's uh, just a study that's um, been done by Harvard Business Review that that actually the first generation are the risk takers, and because theirs is all the risk, theirs is all the the drive and the passion and the energy, because they've got something that they're weighing in, that that they've got skin in the game. (laughs) I had a very different word in my head than that, but they've got skin in the game, and actually... Um, that they're, they're the risk takers and then the next generation come along and, and they consolidate and they build and then the next generation, they've never known any of the risk, they've never known any of the passion, they've just seen it kind of go as it is and so it often comes to ruin. It was the same here with Joshua. Joshua took all the risk, the next generation went in and, and, um, and just compromised a little bit. The next generation said, what God? Generations later, it happened again. David was a man after God's own heart. And every battle, he asked the Lord for help. And then his uh, son, Solomon, consolidated and built and, and, and stocked the coffers and everything like that. But then his son, Rehoboam, he split the country in two. It, the third generation ruined the lot. So what we need to know is that it's not mere human effort that gets this done. We can't rely on mere human effort. Because if we're relying on hu- mere human effort... We will be disappointed every time. You notice this when people look to leadership rather than to God. You see, if we as church leaders have you look to us rather than to Jesus, we are incredibly wrong in doing that. And we will set you up for failure every single time. Um, yes, we should honour our leaders. The Bible says we should absolutely honour our leaders, our church leaders, our country's leaders, whether we agree with them or not, we should pray for them, we should honour them in our speech and, and maybe, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do, whatever God calls you to, but you should honour your leaders and you should pray for your leaders. The Bible's really clear. But if we're looking to our leaders rather than God, then that is not a faith that will outlast anything. That's a faith that will actually probably rise and fall on your leadership. And actually, it will be a roller coaster of faith. If you've got a great leader, you're going really well. If you've got a, a leader that's not so passionate, then you're not going so well. So we can't rely on leaders. We need to rely on God. There's a man um, this week um, that I had to look up. I hadn't looked up because I've got enough going on in my own life to be Googling other people's lives. But I, I, I did Google because I had to make a decision about something. And this man, his words, my goodness, God used his words to cause me to fall irrevocably in love with the church. The, the phrase that he puts around the church, when I first heard it, I bawled my brains out. And I'm not even saying it right now. And I can't think of it without getting emotional. I love it so much. And this man um, recently has had a fall from grace. Or as Joseph Prince puts it, he has needed to fall into grace. 
And, uh, and, and this man has um, stuffed it uh, uh, humanly, as you can see, as far as you can see. And if my trust was in him, then I'm, I'm at sea at the moment. My trust isn't in him. If my trust was in him, I'd be throwing out all the books that I have of him. I'd be throwing out all the influential ways that he's um, formed in my thinking about the church. I'd chuck it all. I'd never look to anything of the gold that he's taught again. But my trust isn't in him. My trust is in Jesus. And so it doesn't matter that a leader falls because that doesn't affect me. Humanity will always fall. It's what humanity does. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need a redeemer because we need our thoughts and our actions redeemed constantly. So we don't look to leadership. We look to Jesus. And, and uh, if you've been hurt by a leader, I encourage you, don't look to them. Look to Jesus because he's the one who's promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. He never said your leaders will never leave you or forsake you. You see, what can happen is we can get on this roller coaster. We're a leader that we love. We just go, yes, I finally found someone. And then they let us down. And then we go, oh man, we get hurt and disappointed. We go to the next leader and a spark of hope rises in us because we think maybe these are the leaders that I've been looking for. But actually then they let us down and we're at sea all over again. Our trust is in Jesus. It's never in leaders because this will not get done with mere human effort. But if it's a faith that's in Jesus rather than the leaders, that kind of faith will, faith will outlast anything. That kind of faith will go on and on no matter what happens. Anything could happen and you're going to be okay. Not only is it a faith that'll outlast anything because it's not looking to leadership, it's not looking to humans, it's looking to Jesus, but it's a total dependence on God. It's not just not looking to humans, but it's a total dependence of God. And how do we do that? How do we have total dependence on God? You see, we live in an age where if we need to know anything, we just ask Google. If you want to know um, how to get yourself out of a situation, you'll find a YouTube tutorial on how to get yourself out of that situation. You'll watch that and you'll go to work. We live in an age where we can fix ourselves. We have all the information to fix ourselves as much as is possible. But that's not God's way because you can't fix yourself. You can't fix all your problems. And so total dependence on God looks like this. Stop, step back, and watch God do his thing. Stop, step back, and watch God do his thing. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honoured in the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. God is passionate about his own name being glorified. He will have the victory. He will win in the end. He will have the victory even in your situation and your circumstance. He will not leave you. Be still and know that he is God because he's going to come through for you. Psalm 127 verse 1 to 2 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, those that labour, labour in vain. Oh, we not getting any scriptures? That's cool. Uh, Daza, can you give me the rest of that verse, please? Unless the Lord builds a house, those that labor in, la- labor in vain, in vain you get up early and in vain you go to bed late doing all your effort um, because you've got to trust in God. That's the Bronnie Bunnell paraphrase of that verse. You've got to trust in God. Actually, if you look in the footnote of your Bible, if you've got an NIV Bible, down the bottom it says, or like a different translation of that same passage is, the Lord will work while you sleep. So while you're sleeping, God is going to work on your behalf. While God is sleeping. Well, well, no, while you're sleeping, God never sleeps or slumbers. And, and let me tell you that the depth of your dependence on God is the level of your ascendance to be able to rise above your situation. The depth of your dependence, how deep you go, how deep you dig that well in your dependence on God determines the level of your ability to just stand above it and say, no, my God has got the victory. In the Old Testament, in the, in the book of Kings, time and time again, it was when they praised that God set up ambushes for the enemy. You know, I encourage you that if you're going through something, 
spend time in prayer uh, because that's going to accomplish far more than you watching the YouTube tutorials on how to get yourself out of the situation. And not just prayer like, God, I need you to come through for me in this situation. This and this and this is going wrong. God already knows. It's good to pray about it. It's good to name it. It's good to own it, whatever it is. God already knows. But if you praise him for who he is in the situation, he begins to go to work on your behalf. He already knows the situation. You don't need to spend heaps of time telling him about it. You just need to praise him for who he is and he'll come through on your behalf. That's what he does. He sets up ambushes. So this will not get done with mere human effort. And secondly, without human effort, this does not get done. Without human effort, this does not get done. It's the time of the kings. And, um, and there's good kings and there's bad kings. Israel's been split into two nations. The bottom two are called Judah and the top ten have retained the name of Israel. But there's 33 bad kings and five good ones. Hezekiah, Asa, Jotham, Josiah, and the other guy, Jehoshaphat. All good kings. 33 bad kings, five good kings. What ties the five good kings together? One statement, and here it is. He did what was right and pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He did what was right and pleasing in the sight of the Lord. This will not get done with mere human effort, but without human effort, this will not get done. This will not get done. James says it like this, I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, there's a faith and an attitude that actually has a follow through to it that isn't just saying something, isn't just believing something, but has an action behind it. We need to do what is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Are you gracious with the people around you? Are you generous in your words and in your thoughts to the people around you? How is God prompting you to do what is pleasing in His sight? Just get about doing what you know is pleasing in His sight and let Him work on the stuff that you know is not pleasing in His sight. Let's get about doing what is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So this is where we go wrong with human effort. When I say something like, without human effort, this will not get done, this is where we go wrong. You see, my kids might just obey me because of fear of punishment. They might just obey me because of fear of punishment. And if their human effort is just based on fear of punishment, that they know if they go near the stove, that they're going to get a quick whack on the hand. Sorry, all you millennial parents, but some of us did that. Um, But if they know they're going to get a sharp whack on the hand, then they might not go near the stove because of the fear of punishment about what's about to happen. They don't understand that it's actually that I'm doing something that's right for them. I'm setting a limit that is good for them. And they haven't understood that yet and they're just doing their human effort. They're letting their human effort be determined by a fear of punishment. Well, is, not, is doing the right thing for fear of punishment better than doing the wrong thing without a fear of punishment? Yes, but it's a very basic and elementary relational dynamic. We don't want to stay there. We don't want to stay there. If you're wandering around wondering if God is going to take his hand of blessing off your business, if you do the wrong thing then that's an elementary relational dynamic that you've got with the Lord because he's not about punishment, he's about relationship. He loves you, he's about relationship. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 to 18, which I'll look up, says, In this way, love has been perfected among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world we are just like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear, let's just say that over and over again. If you have a fear of punishment, just know that God wants to perfect you in his love. He's about relationship. He's not about punishment. Um, Certainly a fear of punishment could propel us in the right direction, 
The whole reason I gave my life to God was because I was scared of hell. That was solely the only reason. But it will not preserve you in your relationship with God. It might propel you there, but it won't preserve you. We need to get an understanding of His grace and His goodness and His love and His kindness and the relationship that He wants with us in order to stay there. Another reason where we go wrong in human effort is a hope for reward. But you know that if you only guide with, a, with reward your children, they soon get desensitized to that reward and they want to up the ante on that reward. What five bucks got you last week won't get you this week because they've got that five bucks already. So we can't just um, guide our children with reward. So if our human effort is guided by fear of punishment or a hope for reward, it won't last. But we need human effort because without human effort, this will not get done. So how do we do human effort? What is the human effort that we need to bring to buck the three-generation trend uh, that Harvard Business Review tells us is there? Now, I'm going to ask you three questions and finish with these. Number one, what are you, where are you investing? Where are you investing? Where are you investing? I remember um, Nordo telling us that his mum always used to give him the Bible of a morning and his sister the daily bread and they'd sit down at breakfast and his sister would read the devotional and he'd read the Bible passage every single morning. You see, their mum decided to invest in them and say, I want to set this up, I want to invest into you and set this up as a good habit in your life. I remember, you don't need to be a parent to be investing in the next generation. You don't need to be a parent to be investing to what's going to outlast you. Frank Coleman used to be on the door every single Sunday at my, the church I grew up in. And uh, in a terminology that was much more familiar to me at the time, he said, would say every morning, Roman, have you prayed in the Spirit today? And uh, so much so that when I saw him on the door, I'd pray in the Spirit before I got there so I could say yes under my breath. Where are you investing? Where are you just asking those questions? Where are you investing into the next generation? You know, our kids, Pastor Candy, lost eight leaders in the last month, not for all legit reasons, pregnancies, moving away, um, morning sickness, all that kind of stuff, uh, having babies as well. Um, and so she lost eight leaders. But how cool would it be if we were a church that was so passionate about investing into the next generation that there was a waiting list. She's like, oh, that's cool. That's fine. You're having a baby. i got someone else. They're right here. Come on in. And this person's like, yes, finally, they had a baby. I get to be on team now. One Sunday a month where I can joyfully invest into the, our youngest disciples. How cool would that be? Where are you investing? Where are you investing? doesn't need to look like much, but it, 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 you know, I'd tell all of us, it needs to look like something. What are you normalizing? And the church, again, that I grew up in, it was small enough that we could have prayer from the floor during the service. So the musos would just go silent and someone would pray from the floor. Uh, we used to do it here in Tamworth until we got so uh, like big enough that the people at the back wondered why everything had gone silent and was there a power outage, but it was just someone praying up the front, but they couldn't hear them and vice versa. The people would pray up the back and the musicians would play over them and it all seemed a bit rude. So we pray differently now how we do now. I remember Dan and Jules, um, they had little Zaki, and they determined, they said, that we are going to pray, one of us, every single meeting out loud. And they're like, we, we don't want to. We don't like praying out loud. We actually get, like, we don't like it. We're shy and retiring people. <laughs> they just didn't like praying out loud. But they said, we want to normalize something so that our son doesn't see that praying out loud in church is something that you have to really work up courage to, but it's completely normalized in his life. That actually, that, that's something that should be normalized. And then we took prayer out of church uh, from the floor. So, sorry, Zachy, um, you're okay. Something that was normalized in our house, we would get in the car and uh, because we're the pastors and we, one of our cultural values is living in relentless pursuit of better in everything, and we'd start to talk about the service. And we'd talk about the good things, yes, but we'd also talk about the things that we thought needed improvement. 
until our seven-year-old Isabella said, you know what I noticed about today's service? We went, oh, okay. We've normalized critiquing the service after church in our own children. This has to stop. And that was the end of that, I hope. (laughs) What are you normalizing for the next generation? What are you normalizing? What are you producing? I think about Day and David. Day and David. (laughs) David and Gay more. Most of the young people I know that are stirred up in this church went through their youth group. Benny Longmire, Beth McInnes, Ryan Alderton, um, Candy Tyndall. There's heaps of them. They actually went through Gay and David's youth group. Gay would cook them up a big meal every Friday night and David would sit down and talk to them about something from the Bible and something from C.S. Lewis. And they would take the time to invest into the next generation. Where are you? What are you producing in the next generation? It's never too late to start. I had a girlfriend text me yesterday. She said, Bron, do you know of any podcasts that the family could listen to but particularly would help teenage girls? Her girls are teenagers and she's like, we need to put something into their life right now. We need to produce something in their life that's going to help them. And she recognised that, yes, it needed God. It needed a God podcast, something with God in it because it, with just mere human effort, it doesn't get done. But without human effort, it doesn't get done. So that she needed to do something in order to make that happen. What are you, where are you investing? What are you normalising? And what are you producing? Personally, it starts here at Outlast Us. I just want to thank some people who have invested in my children's lives. I want to thank Maddie Morrissey for leading our youth group for a lot of years when Belsie had started and made Belsie a, a leader in the youth group. I want to thank Mikey, who led the youth group. I thank Josiah Stace, who's leading youth group now. I want to thank Brucey, because I've seen him have chats with my son, Locke, uh, just, and all of a sudden, Locke will be reading the Bible at home, and I haven't said anything thank Jules because she brought my kids up in kids church and invested every week, week in, week out with my children. Not only that, uh, my daughter said that there were two adults that always spoke to her when she was a kid. One was Jules and one was Vicky Martin. And she said she just, they'd always stop and have a big conversation with her. I want to thank Mick and Katie Cook who are now in Ireland, but no doubt as soon as podcasts come out, they listen to them. Mick and Katie Cook in Little Explorers, Michael Kramer, Stephen M. Carter led it for the longest time. I want to thank the people who invested into my children, so many of them, because, because they've made it normalised for my children. They've produced something in my children. They've invested in my children and asked Locke to come here. And uh, if I live out my faith in such a way that that's kind of private for me and and my kids might know that I love them and I love God, but it's kind of private to me. It's kind of a few degrees of separation. <laughs> and I know that they're going to, you know, hopefully it'll rub off on them somewhere, but there's this kind of degree of separation. But that's not what I want for my kids, and I know that's not what you want for your kids. And if you're not a parent, I know it's not what you want for the next generation. But instead, we know the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. We're going to try something we haven't tried and could go disastrously wrong right now. And I'd just ask you, Josh Strickland, to please close your eyes. But I'm going to ask uh, Dan Coleman and Brucey Ether to come. Um, These are two men that have invested in this boy's life as well. Not just me, but Dan's been like an uncle to my kids. And Brucey is constantly having God chats. All right, let's see. Because I don't want Locke to try and sense something about my life. I don't want the next generation to sense something about our lives, but we actually want them to do something different. We want the next generation to stand on our shoulders. And so where are you investing? Where are you normalising? Where are you producing to help something start here that outlast us in Jesus' name? 
Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.